Welcome to the Roadmap to Wealth show. The show is hosted by the Invest Tribe community, a total European resource for anyone looking to succeed in all sorts of investing. Real estate, stock market, bonds and ETFs, cryptocurrency, foreclosure, peer-to-peer lending, business and startups. Before we get to today's interview, if you are a new listener, be sure to go to investtribe.org and subscribe because we offer content, tools, and an international community of experts, newbies, and everyone in between to help people to learn investing, network, find partners, deals, and financing, and make the best investing decisions possible. Let us start the show. Today, my guest is Rick Gannon, co-founder of New Era Training, property investor, mentor, coach, and public speaker, author of House Arrest and 45 Ways to Find Property, creator of property management software, Tenant. Hi, Rick. How are you today? Very well, thank you, Elena. Thank you for having me. It's an honor for you to accept uh, this invitation, uh, Rick, in spite of your busy schedule. Thank you very much. You are a well-known property investor, mentor, and coach. Can you tell us how you started in this business and what led it to it? Yeah, so, well, actually, it was by accident. So around about, um, where were we? Probably around about the year 2001, 2002, um, we had a a chain of pubs. um, And prior to that... Um, myself and my wife were working in the corporate world and an opportunity to move back to our hometown because we moved around a lot and we couldn't sell our house because we bought it off plan and because we bought it off plan we automatically kind of went into negative equity Um, so we decided to rent it out now going back to actually this was about 1997 going back to 1997 it was a lot easier then to get mortgages and the stress testing wasn't as hard as it is today. So we were able to get another mortgage and we became landlords by accident. So we became accidental landlords and we started renting our house out. Uh, We didn't want to do it, wasn't planned. Um, And then we went into the pub trade. So I sort of backtracked a little bit. Um, And then when we were um, in the pub trade, we were working really, really hard. And um, we started to buy property and just uh, just for a bit of fun, really, and flip it. So mm-hmm. we were buying, we were refurbing, we were selling. So we were trading property. And again, it wasn't something that we just wanted to do. It was just, um, it just happened. And then over the years, um, my story is, um, as this is well documented in my book, I eventually went into the police service and I became a police officer for um, about 10, 13 years, something like that. And we'd always had the property business in the background, had always been flipping property, buying single lets. And our portfolio grew. It wasn't massive then, but it grew. And it was quite a nice, substantial portfolio. And um, after having a really powerful conversation with my son one morning, um, I came home after a really busy night shift. And I spoke to my son, Ben, and he asked me a question. And he said, Dad, why can't I play football like my friends? Uh, because Ben was born with brain damage and he can't use his legs at all. And that, for me, was a real poignant moment. And it was a real testing moment for me. And I said to Ben, don't worry, we'll get you to play football. I didn't know how. I had no idea. So I went to speak to my wife. And we said, I said, look, I'm working shifts. I'm in the police. 
I don't get to see my kids. Um, it's a hard job. I'm on the front line, so I was a uniformed response officer, and um, I need to make a change. I'm not, you know, life is short, and we are only here once, and I need to make sure I'm here for my kids. So at that point, we decided that we'd go into property full time. Now, this was quite a long time ago now. Um, and we decided to go into HMO property full time because we felt then that that was the best strategy to get the cash flow to replace my income. So um, from that point, I took a career break in the police in order to forge my business. And then within six months, uh, I resigned. And then the rest is history, if you like. So uh, we've got quite a substantial portfolio. We've got, um, I don't know, I don't know how much in terms of value. Um, we've got about 150 uh, units, HMO tenants, um, very well established property business. And of course, um, all of the other things now that we do around it as well. So yeah, so we've been in property for quite a long time, seen a couple of recessions, um, seen, you know, people come and go, but hopefully, you know, we'll be here for a little while longer yet. It's absolutely fabulous story. I just love it. Uh, I wanted to, of course, we have to start with what's happening now it's about uh, coronavirus epidemic um, situation it's absolutely affected the financial market as you know so as a property investment expert what advice can you give to minimize risk and anxiety when investing in current market situation i think at the moment um i think my advice at the moment is not to do anything I think, um, you know, lots of people are asking on the Facebook forums and the social media forums and YouTube and everything else. So, you know, um, when when do I invest? When's a good time to invest? So um, there are two elements to this, I think, Eleanor. One, you've got your business head and the other one, you've got your moral and ethics head. And sometimes they do come to loggerheads. Sometimes they don't meet very well in the middle because as a business person, um, you know, we want to get deals. We want to make sure that we're buying at the right price. We want to make sure that we can continue to invest. But on the ethics side of things, um, it's a very difficult time right now for a lot of people. And I think that a lot of people that are maybe looking to sell potentially in the future um, because of Maybe it was Brexit that started and then all of the changes with all the legislation and now we've got COVID-19. It might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I don't think that now is the right time to be trying to push people down uh, and negotiate really, really, really good deals because in my mind, that is not particularly an ethical way of investing. So I think at the moment, um, I'm telling my students certainly that um, let's just wait Let's wait until we come out of lockdown because people's minds are they're still in panic mode. Some people are worried about how they're going to pay their own mortgage, how they're going to feed their own children, and they're worried about them and they're worried about their family members and whether they're going to contract COVID-19. So there's a lot of things that we need to consider right now. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to see some great deals because we are. Um, but when we come out of this and we, be, and we get back to normal, whatever normal looks like from this, yeah. um, then we are definitely going to see an influx of great deals coming into the market. So I think it's not going to be a very good time to sell in three to six months, but it will for be sure, a good time. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there are going to be lots of great deals coming on the market, um, but there's got to be a right time for it. And so business-wise, yes, I know people are out there, they're chomping at the bit. They want to be first out of the traps, but ethically, We've got to heal the country first. We've got to get back to normal so we can all get back out there and all start trading again. So we've got to have that, that happy medium. So I think in synopsis, just to answer the question, I don't think right now is a good time. 
I think within the next three to six months, things will start moving really well. And we're going to see a, uh, an influx of property on the market, which, of course, is going to bring the price down. And then at that point, we can start looking at trying to get some great deals. Thank you very much. So you see the recession as an opportunity, I guess. For example, in property price negotiation, are you going to be more aggressive? Again, it's, you know, when we, as business people, um, we, we have to have a, 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 an amount of aggressiveness, if you like, but we've got to be ethical and it's got to be win-win. Now, a deal is only a deal if it works both ways. So we can become aggressive, and if people want to become aggressive and they want to really drive those prices down, then um, if it still works for the vendor, then okay, that's still a deal. But if we're driving those prices down unethically, which is going to leave the vendor with nothing or um, you know, no motivation to move forwards, then no, it's not a good deal. So are we going to be any more aggressive? Personally, no because we don't work like that. Um, for us, it's more important that everybody gets a fair share and everybody gets a good slice of the cake. I know there are people out there that don't work like that, but we're not in that ilk. You know, For us, it has to be ethical. It has to be win-win. Thank you very much. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, do you invest in UK or you are uh, invest in global scale? No, we're just in the UK. Um, so we've got um, most of our portfolio is very close, actually, to where we live. And we've got some property in Wales as well. But we're just in the UK predominantly. But of course, our software is, you know, is national and, and it's um, uh, countrywide. It's, it's worldwide because it's, it's based on uh, cloud based. So but our portfolio is just in the UK. Thank you very much. So uh, about your software, uh, what well, people who signed for GoTen on the property management software you created, what, what they want to accomplish or achieve? And for, for the people who don't know, what is it property management? Yeah, great question. So um, there in the UK, certainly, there are around just over 2 million private landlords, and some of which are what we call armchair investors. Um, by that, we mean that they want to park their money whilst they've got another job or another career and um if you know if those people want to get their properties managed normally they would give them to an agent and pay a fee to an agent to manage the property for them but there's a large portion of those private landlords that actually want to manage themselves so when um going back now probably five years or so um my portfolio was growing quite considerably and i was self-managing and I decided that I needed some systems pretty quickly. I wanted something that would text the tenants automatically to remind them about a viewing. And if they didn't reply, I wanted the system to cancel the viewing. I wanted all of our forms to be paperless. I wanted um, automatic referencing. And I was thinking about all of these things that I needed. I wanted maintenance reporting and uh, rent tracking and I went onto the internet and I searched and there was nothing that did all of that there were there were software systems then that did little bits of everything but there was nothing that did it all really so I decided to to, to create my own and I, I'm not a software developer um, so I um, got hold of a load of third-party systems and kind of put them together and it was a little bit clunky and it worked so I put it into my business and I started using it and it automatically took away all of the bad applications, um, which meant that the tenants that we had were the best ones, which then secured our rents moving forwards, which meant our 
uh, voids and our arrears were virtually zero. And it just took all of the administration away. So instead of sending an application form by the, in post, um, get the tenant to sign it and then send it back and then send them the contracts. And that used to take ages. Well, this system that I created, we could do it in literally five minutes online. So we were getting through tenancy applications really quickly. So I put this together. And then I was um, talking in London and I was doing a massive seminar and I was about 800 people in the room. And I just happened to mention this system. Um, and in the break, I was inundated with people saying, I, where is it? I want it. I want it. I said, well, I can't tell you individually. So why don't we all go into a room um, and I will, I'll put a course together. So I started this thing called the Tenant Systems Course. And I, I ran this for about two or three years. And after one of my courses, um, I got a phone call. And uh, they said, hi, Rick, uh, we came onto your course. I'm actually not interested in your software. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but what we are, are we international software developers and we'd heard about you. And now we'd like to have a chat. So yeah. I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so I went off to Oxford and I had a chat with, um, with these people. And they basically said, look, um, we like what we see. We'd like to make it bigger, better. We'd like to put it together as our own system. Um, can we do something together? Long story short. So went into business together, and over the following two years, we coded what is now called GoTenant, and we released this to market about two years ago, and it's one of the fastest growing and most recommended software management platforms uh, on social media right now, so it's doing really well. Fascinating story. I just love it. So uh, how important is it to get a property condition assessment when buying a property? Who conducts property condition assessment? So in the UK, we don't have a property condition assessment. What we'll do is have a survey. Uh, we used to have a home buyer's report that used to be mandatory. It's not anymore. Um, so uh, how important is it for us to get a survey, which is the same thing? Um, it's a great question because I know that lots of people will buy property blind, as we call it. Yeah. Or, they'll go to, or they'll go to auction and they'll buy it blind and they'll take a risk. Now, I, I can almost guarantee that um, if a property is at auction, there is something because it's not sold on the market. It's gone to auction for a reason. Um, so I always, always say, don't ever buy a property blind. First of all, you've got to go and see it. You've got to kick the bricks, if you like. And if you're not a builder and if you're not a surveyor, then you've got to go and pay someone to come out and get a report done because there's so many underlining things that could go wrong with property. Um, you know, we don't know if the property's got Japanese knotweed. If it has, you're going to struggle to get a mortgage. You don't know whether or not the joists in the roof need replacing. It might have wet rot. It might have dry rot. Um, it might have subsidence. There's so many things that could go wrong. So for the sake of, well, it depends on the size of the property, but for the sake of, you know, maybe up to a thousand pounds, it's really money well spent because um, I know so many people that haven't had reports and they've bought properties and they've found that there's so much wrong with them, it actually didn't make them any money and they had to sell it in the end. So it depends on your risk, uh, your appetite for risk, but I would never buy a property without having a survey report. Thank you very much. Speaking of risk, real estate investing is a way to go when you want to grow your portfolio, but uh, there are always dangers and risks to consider. So what are they besides the binder blindly? I think anything in business, Eleanor, carries a risk and you do have to take an element of risk to move forwards. Now, as a human being, we have this fight or flight 
um, um, trait built into us. And that goes back to the old cave days. You know, we didn't want to get eaten. Um, so the risk back then was literally getting up in the morning and walking out of the cage. But if you didn't take that risk, you wouldn't survive because you need to eat. Um, and then you're back in your comfort zone when you go back in the cage. Now, that's very similar to how we are today. You know, everyone's in their own circle of comfort. And if you don't step out of that, and i.e. take a risk, you're not going to move forward. So you're going to stay the same. And Albert Einstein said, didn't he, the definition of madness is doing the same thing every day and yeah. expecting different results. So um, there's always going to be an element of risk. So in terms of property, what risk levels are there? Well, the property could lose money. Could, the property market could dip. We could go into recession. Um, you know, the strategy that you've chosen, uh, whether it's HMO or shared houses or um, serviced accommodation, Airbnb, could get more regulated, which means we might not be able to do certain elements of it. Um, it could be an element of supply versus demand. And there's a word that people use called saturation. I don't like that word. There's always room in a crowded market. If you've got the right product, if you've got the right service, then you will thrive. But you've got to take that risk first. So in terms of the, the market, property has over time um, been probably one of the safest investments that anybody could make. Because no matter where we are in the world, um, people need somewhere to live. And certainly with the economy, well, what the economy might look like in the future, who knows? Um, the private rental sector, I believe, is going to be even stronger. So if people are buying property to rent, I think that that will carry a risk initially because we don't know what's going to happen to the market. We've got an idea, but we don't know because nobody can see into the future. But over time, it will uh, recover. And over time, it will continue to be probably one of the safest investments that we can have. So in terms of risk, you know, same as any business, the market can fluctuate. You can lose money um, as well as you can make money. But you have got to make sure that if you do your due diligence process properly at the beginning and you take the right education, you know what you are looking at, then that risk level is um, going to be a lot less. Um, but if you're not prepared to take a risk, then go and get a nine to five job and get on the payroll, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. So. Bad tenants. Almost every landlord will suffer from a bad tenant at some point. What advice can you give us so we can be prepared as a landlord? I think it's part and parcel, I don't know, of um, being um, in the private rental sector. At some point, we can guarantee that there's going to be a bad tenant that crosses our path, no matter how much due diligence you take. Mm -hmm. um, but the process we go through is that we kind of, uh, we flip the process. So normally what would happen uh, where we are is that a tenant would make an application through whatever format, uh, either through an agent or through our own website. And then normally what would happen is that the agent, if it's being managed by an agent, would book a viewing and then they would go and view the property. And then after the viewing, they would then start to conduct their own due diligence. So we don't do that. So what we do is the minute we get an application, we do our due diligence at that point because there's very little point in showing a tenant a property if they're never going to be suitable in the first place. Now, that takes up a lot of time. So to go and travel to the property, because um, I've got staff, so my managers would go and travel to the property, they would do the viewing, and then they would come back. And that's going to take them two to three hours. So if the tenant is never going to be suitable, that is a complete waste of our time and, and my staff's money, uh, or my money paying my staff. So 
the way that we do this, in order to safeguard and get the right tenants, when a tenant books a viewing, we at that point then will go through a due diligence process and we will check to see whether they've got any county court judgments, uh, whether they've got references, whether they can afford the property and whether they've got a criminal record as well. Now, much of this is self-declaration at this point, but most people actually will tell the truth. So uh, then if they get through that point and we, we meet them at the viewing, the next element is actually um, doing what we call the attitude test. And this is really important. Yeah. If the, if the, the tenant prospect um, comes across as being rude, um, and just not nice, you know, mm-hmm. impolite, um, if they're dressed really badly, scruffy, I mean, I know it sounds awful, but, you know, if, if they come across as being somebody that we're not sure about, we have this rule. Whoever does the viewing, I always say, would you be happy living with that person, either yourself or your daughter or your son, if you've got kids, would you be happy them sharing a house? Because our properties are shared houses with that person. And if they say no, then we just simply don't offer the tenancy. Um, And then what we do is we Google search them and we do all of the social media searches and see what comes back. Because very often you'll be really surprised on what comes back on Google if you search for your tenant and things that they would never declare before. So once we've done all of the due diligence process to that point, and if we're happy, then we're going to offer them a tenancy. And at that point, then we need references. So we're going to reference the current employer to prove they have got a job. And we're going to reference the current landlord. And if we can, we're going to reference that previous landlord as well, because their current landlord may be very well motivated in telling us that they're great, in fact, they're not. They just want them out of the house. Mm, so we can yes. try and go back, try and go back one step further if we can. It's not always possible. And then we take a guarantor. So we've covered as much as we can possibly cover. Um, and most of the time that works. Now, my biggest tip to people would be whether you do single let properties or shared houses or um, no matter what your strategy is, don't ever be tempted by people waving wadges of money underneath your nose. Because if somebody comes to you and says, I need a house today, I've got to move in today, and I'll pay you six months in advance and all of this cash, look, look at all that. And a lot of people will say, well, I need the money, so I'll take it. But if they're coming on one day, they've got, there's an issue, there's a problem there. They've either been evicted from their current property um, or they've maybe just got out of prison, they need a house. Um, and it's great to have all of that money but that might be the only money you see from that tenant. And it might also cause all of the other tenants to move out as well. So it might actually be worse for you. So follow a due diligence process. Make sure that you credit reference your tenant. Make sure that you do your credit scores and your referencing properly. And if you're not happy at any point, just simply don't take them. Now, when we get to the point of taking them, it's not 100% that we're going to make sure that the tenant's going to be good. Sometimes their situation may change. And if their situation changes, it might mean they lose their job. That's not their fault. So if that happens, then we'll try our very best to work with the tenant, open up a line of communication and try and help them get through that period and get another job. So we we do work with them as much as we possibly can. If for whatever reason, the tenant is not suitable because they're starting to cause antisocial behavior, or maybe they're being violent or harassing to the other tenants, then we'll follow the eviction process. And the eviction process at the moment is a bit up in the air. Um, We're talking about changing it, but COVID-19 might 
slow that down a little bit. But what we will do is we'll simply go through the whole eviction process. And if we have to go to court, we'll go to court and we'll evict them. It doesn't happen very often, but if people follow the right due diligence process at the beginning, then most of the tenants that we get are going to be pretty good. I mean, our tenants are, I mean, we've had tenants for like, you know, some of the properties have got tenants in for 17 years. Oh, we don't hear great. from them at all. Mm-hmm. Don't hear from them. They pay their rent. Uh, they're happy. The tenants just want to be left alone as much as landlords want to be left alone, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for this great advice, Rick. It's uh, so interesting. So the next question is, uh, more and more people are attracted to property investment. Can you give me some personal tips for people who want to start in real estate investment? Yeah, so it depends on, there's so many different ways you can get into property and real estate. You know, you might want to um, buy and refurbish and sell. So that's trading or flipping. Uh, You may want to buy, refurbish and rent and refinance. So, um, you know, you buy a property that's perhaps um, distressed, as we say, and you do it up and you refurbish it and then you refinance your money. So that means that you can add value to a property by refurbishing it so it's worth more. So potentially when you come to refinance, you can get a lot of your costs back out. So the return on investment is very high. And then you can rent the property afterwards so you've got all of your money out of the deal. So effectively, it could be a free house afterwards. You have to buy it first. Um, And then you've got a great income as well for the rest of your life if you choose to keep it. It really depends on what you're looking to do. So my main strategy is HMO, and that's Houses and Multiple Occupation. That's where we take one house and we rent it to several different individual tenants. Because by doing that, we make more money. Um, The great properties are really nice. They're high-end. They're very um, exclusive. Um, And it's like having a mini flat for each tenant. Um, so it depends on which element of property you want to go into. And there's also commercial. So that's where you buy um, a shop or a factory or a warehouse where people will rent from you and trade their business. So no matter what you do, um, it's all about education. And it's about making sure that you know all of the pitfalls and you know exactly what you are required to do by law. Now, lots of people will say that you, know, you can get it all on the Internet. You can Google it. You can, but there's no, um, there's no consistency with Googling something. First of all, you have to know what to Google. You have to know what to ask to search for, otherwise you don't know. So you don't know what to ask for. And then secondly, there's no context to it because it's just a question and an answer. Whereas if you take on um, somebody that's done it before, a mentor or um, a, a coach, someone that's actually been in the industry, they're still in the industry, they've got the bruises and they've come out on the other side, Well, that means that you're going to get to your destination a lot quicker. So rather than going like that, making all of the mistakes and paying for them, you're going to go like that and you're going to learn from your mentor's mistakes because they're going to teach you what to do and what not to do. So I think that's most important. Number two, don't be hoodwinked into thinking that property is passive because it is not. It's not get rich quick and it's not passive. Um, You know, it's a lot of work but you will get rewarded if you're prepared to work hard and if you're prepared to um, um, to go through all of the bumps in the road, then you'll be rewarded really well. But it's not passive. And it's and there are a lot of people out there saying that you can become a millionaire in a day. <laughs> well, not a day, perhaps, but, um, you know, there are lots of people out there selling these schemes. You won't, you know, you can 
be financially rewarding, but it's not get rich quick. So you've got to go into it with your eyes wide open. But if you do it properly, and if you build your business with the right foundations, and if you um, are persistent and you don't give up, then eventually you'll build yourself a very nice portfolio with equity that you can keep forever and then potentially leave to your family as well. So it's really rewarding, but you've got to make sure that you do it the right way. Thank you very much, Rick. There are many benefits in real estate investment, and one of them, obvious, is appreciation of the value of the property. There are two types of appreciation, it's internal and external. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, so um, the way that we operate, I mean, everybody's different. Um, we look for property that we can get at a good price. It's got to be ethical. It's got to be win-win. But we need to buy it at a good price. So we will always negotiate. And the number two, well, actually, there are three elements. So one is the price. Number two is the condition. So we always look for those horrible, dirty, run-down properties that nobody else wants. Yeah. And then number three, if we've got the potential to extend under permitted development rules then we have got a really good potential property because number one we can add value sorry number one we buy it um, below market value so we can buy it at a good price so we know we've locked money into the deal there straight away number two we can add value by making the property nicer because currently it looks horrible and nobody really wants to buy it nobody wants to rent it and then number three if we can get more floor space then we're automatically going to add value to the property so we could maybe go into an integral garage that's connected to the house. And then we've got another bedroom and it's a real bedroom, not just a room that you've put a mattress and a bed in. If we could potentially extend on the back under permitted development to maybe put a new kitchen on and then use the kitchen as a bedroom. If we could go into the loft space and put dormer loft rooms in, um, we might need planning permission for that. We might not, it depends. But if you get a combination of all of these things, then potentially you've got what we call a no money left in deal because we're going to buy the house. We're going to make sure that we refurbish it. And by buying at the right price and then refurbishing it and then adding extra floor space, the property is going to be worth a lot more than it was when we bought it. So then we can look then to refinance. So, so go to the mortgage provider and refinance the property at the new value, get all of the money back out of the deal, which potentially then means we've got a free house at the end of it. Um, and we've got that pot of money that we can then, what we call momentum invest into the next property and then just keep rolling it over. And that's how we work. So we'll only take a property on if we get most of our money back out. If we can't, then we don't buy the house. We did a property about two years ago now, and I'm giving this as an example because it was a great one. It was advertised for 1.3 million. We got it for 1.1 million. We refurbished all of the property. It's like the whole street. It's like a block of flats. We refurbished it. We spent about 250000 on the property. And then we've refinanced it all out. And it's worth $2 million now. So what, what's happened with that is the whole of that property, which are 25 flats, hasn't cost us anything now. It's all free, effectively, because all of the money we put in, we've got back out. So we still own them. And we still rent them. Um, but they haven't cost us anything. So that's an infinite return on investment. Um, so those are the kind of deals that we look for. Now, they're not everywhere. You've got to know how to look for them. But for us, um, that's how we add value. So if anyone's starting and wanting to do this, you can still do it, but you've got to look for the right property. You could go onto the internet today 
And you could, you know, there are millions of properties for sale, but it doesn't mean that they're all good deals. Um, a lot of them will just be for normal people that just want to live in the properties themselves. If you're looking to trade or if you're looking for the properties to rent, you've got to know what to look for and you've got to know whether or not you can you know, get that money back out at the end. And if you can, then it works. Thank you very much for your advice. So uh, I know that you're also a coach. Uh, what type of coaching do you do? Um, well, I'm more of a mentor than a coach. So I have a group of coaches that work for my business. Um, so I've got about six coaches um, that work for my training company. So when people come onto our mentoring programs, they get allocated one of those coaches. Uh, myself, personally, what I'll do is I'll, I'll head the coaches and I mentor um, some of my clients directly. So there's a difference between coaching and mentoring. So coaching is empowering the client to make their own decisions. And it's um, almost like um, signposting. Mentoring is is guidance. So mentoring says uh, mentoring is you need to do this, 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 and this, and this is how you need to do it. Go and do it. So it's two very different things. So I mentor um, people in property and business, um, regardless of what their business is. We've got about seven businesses of our own at the moment. Um, so we're very experienced. We've been in business a long time. Um, and it really depends on what that business is. Now, I'll only mentor people in businesses that I'm very fluent with. So mainly property. Um, and the other elements are, you know, I'm catering establishments and um, um, marketing, Facebook, social media, Instagram, etc. So social media marketing, um, marketing per se, and um, property and you know other elements of um uh what's the word i'm looking for catering etc so um if people are looking for property the first thing that i would suggest to them is start to do a little bit of research yourself first before you choose a coach or you choose a mentor start to read a few books start to watch youtube videos like this one and podcasts like this one and get some information first and make sure that you actually want to do this before you part with your cash because, you know, mentors, some of them are very expensive and you need to know it's right for you first. So do your due diligence on your coach and on your mentor. Make sure they're real. Make sure that they are actually doing what you want to do and successfully. Um, make sure that you get to talk to some of their existing coaches and get some testimonials before you part with any cash. Uh, thank you very much, Nick. Uh, about the, the beginners, the people who just started in real estate investment, what are the most common mistakes they make? I think there are a lot, you know, and I think, you know, you, you only learn when you make mistakes. And if you don't make mistakes, then you don't learn simply. Now, even if you've got a coach or a mentor, you will make mistakes. Now, for me, um, because where we are and what we do with shared houses, because that's my speciality, when people think that they want to go into shared houses or houses of multiple occupation and they, if they don't want education, then they go in and they make loads of mistakes in terms of legislation. So we have to have minimum room sizes. We have to have a certain amount of space in the kitchen. We need to make sure that we've got so many plug sockets. <clears throat> we need to make sure we've got planning permission. So lots of people will go into it uh, without knowing all of the legal requirements and then potentially breach, and then they'll get a visit from the planning officer, and then the planning officer will serve the notice to tell them that they can't do what they want to do. So they've spent all of that money by buying the house, they've refurbished the property, and now they've realised that they can't actually use it and never will be able to use it. Um, so 
the biggest mistake I would say is not taking the right education um, because property isn't, it's not just as easy as buying a house, putting a few tiles up, changing the bathroom and then selling it for a huge amount of money. It's not. And there's a lot more to it than that. So that's probably the biggest mistake. And then the next mistake is being too motivated. So we very often get students that say, I want to leave my job. Okay, well, one step at a time. That's great. You know, it's, yeah, but, you know, don't quite, don't do it yet. You know, you've got to make sure you can get mortgages first. So you need to have a job. Um, and then what they'll do, excuse me, because they, they're so motivated, they want to get out of the job. They'll see any house and they'll just buy it. And they haven't stacked the deal properly. And in fact, it's not very good and it doesn't give them a good return. So I think the, the top tips would be to have a, to have a rule or some rules yourself for investing. We have rules and our rules are we will never take on a house if it doesn't make a minimum of £500 net profit per month. Okay. That's not a lot, um, but we know we can make profit with that. And we have a minimum of 15% return on investment. So we need to know that our money is making 15% or more. If we can't do that, then we just simply don't do the deal. So have some rules. Make sure that you're not a motivated buyer, because if you do, then you're just buying houses for the sake of it. Thank you very much. Of the many hats you wear in the real estate investment industry, which one is the most important for you? Significant. Yeah, um, actually managing the staff, I think, because you're only as good as your team. You're only as good as your last record if you're a pop star. You're only as good as your last podcast or your last Facebook Live, you know, but you're only as good as your team. So if my team aren't performing, then that's a reflection on me. And of course, it's going to hurt the business. So I think for me, my main job is to make sure that the team feel respected, make sure that they feel empowered and we treat them all as humans because they are, otherwise they, they're not going to be motivated, but making sure that they are accountable as well. So what I need is every month I get a snapshot of what we call KPIs, so key performance indicators of my businesses, and I can look at that and it tells me every element of my business. So how many avoids, how many arrears, how many um, houses we've got under refurbishment because we've always got loads of houses under refurb. Um, my training business, how many students do we have? Um, how many students have left? How many students are looking to um, join? And then I've got my uh, property, go tenant, uh, marketing and software business. You know, how many people have signed onto a free trial? How many, all of that. So that's really important for me. And then I use that then to put out the, um, the instructions to the team for the next month. So if there's anything that we need to concentrate on, then that KPI list will format the basis of those meetings. And then really it's just making sure that I give my team and my staff enough leeway to go out and make their own decisions and to make sure that they're doing their job properly. So um, that's the biggest hat that I wear. Obviously the book will always stop at me, um, but you know, you have to step back sometimes. You can't control everything. And if you if you try to control everything, you can't grow. Uh, and I know some people are thinking, well, nobody can do it as good as I can. And that's true, probably. Um, but you might be surprised, you know. And if you can recruit somebody that actually has got better skills than you have, then you might find that your business goes um, onto the next level. So, yeah, I think for me, mainly, it is really just doing that CEO role, making sure that the staff do what they um, should be doing and making sure the business ticks over and looking after that cash flow. I mean, in times that we've got now with COVID-19, you know, we're all on lockdown. The whole world is on lockdown. Yes. And, 
you know, we can't do viewings. The government have told us that we shouldn't be doing viewings, which means we can't put people into houses. Um, it's very difficult right now for a lot of people. And I own pubs as well. My pubs are closed. My bars oh. are shut. Yes. I know. It's terrible. So um, the importance is that we couldn't have seen any of this. It's nobody's fault. But um, making sure you have that cash buffer. So if anything like this happens again, you can get through it. Making sure that you are uh, building your business properly and making sure that cash flow is king. And we always say cash flow is king. And my job is to manage that cash flow all of the time. So that's probably, along with managing the staff, my two main roles. Thank you very much, Nick. I know that we can talk about the real estate more and more, but I know your time is limited. Can you tell our listeners where they can find more information about you? Maybe you have some boot camps coming up within several months. Well, we don't have any boot camps now because obviously all of the training side of things in the classroom yes. is, is kind so. of stopped. Mm -hmm. So we've pivoted and we've put a lot of our courses online um, and they will be with using Zoom or um, other you know, software providers. Um, so most of what we do now is in this kind of format. So if people want to contact me, um, the best place really is Facebook. Um, because Facebook is my biggest, I actually use Facebook as a website, really. So my Facebook page is Rick Gannon. Um, and my profile is Rick Gannon. And I've got a very large group on Facebook called the HMO Property Group as well. So um, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people um, in that group. So those are the best formats. Um, if I can help anybody move forward in their journey, then please reach out. Thank you a lot for your time, Rick. And see you soon. Have a nice day. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. Thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes over at investtribe.org. See you next week on the Roadmap to Wealth show.